life in general has never been even close to fair. So the pretense that the government can make it fair is a valuable and inexhaustible asset to politicians who want to expand government when they should simply embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 221 of Embrace the Void, where we've got soul even if we're not soldiers. I'm your host, Aaron, and this week we're getting to better know a prominent thinker in conservative politics. So let's make with the intellectual bootstraps. Life ends in death, which we as a species are cursed with knowing, resulting in something. My guest this week is Brandon Bradford, a political consultant, ghostwriter, and columnist. Brandon, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, hello to the void. I'm Brandon Bradford. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. We've been sort of corresponding via the Twitters and whatnots for a while and hit upon a, a good topic, I feel like, for an episode. You've got some upcoming articles on Thomas Sowell, and he is a name that gets referenced frequently, I feel like, in various culture war spaces. So I'm excited to do a little bit of Better Know Soul. Before we get to that, do you want to tell folks a little bit about sort of your background, where you're coming from politically, philosophically, what brings you to this particular topic and such? I am a resident smart guy. I'm a... um... (laughs) I'm one of those Bay Area, I'm a military brat growing up, but Bay Area people who got called in uh, to drop out of college for a job a little after 18, worked in a little bit of everything from running restaurants to fashion to I run a renewable energy division for an electric company, designing and developing commercial renewable projects and policy. And then Mm -hmm. for the past... 16 years or so, I've been writing and ghostwriting for everyone from Mm -hmm. articles on most big publications. uh, I'm on my fourth book. And then uh, in the 2018 midterms, I was just kind of really, really irritated about how bad everyone's messaging was. And so uh, I reached out. Yeah, uh, just like there are better ways to say this. There are better ways to do it uh, and better ways to sell your message. And I told people, I'm like, look, if you are blue and running in any area, uh, but particularly a red area, you pay me a dollar. Mm-hmm. I don't need the money. I will come and revamp your campaign. We'll revamp your messaging. And um, got a lot of people into office. And so since then, I've been kind of picking and choosing where I go uh, because, mm-hmm. again, don't need the money. And then I, I want to actually help and uh, building from there. 
the Thomas Sowell thing was just because I'm really, really tired of hearing his terrible arguments. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, it's going to be a series of essays and they're going to be needlessly thorough to the point where I'm probably just going to have high, highlights for you. Like here, mm-hmm. here's a summary, like step one summary of what he said and how bad it is. Step two, here's 15 resources on why that's bad. Step three, here's another two pages on breaking down each sentence of this, just be, just to get out of the way. Cause I know his fanboys are religious and mm-hmm. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do to them what they do to everybody else is, well, you haven't responded to everything he's ever said. So maybe you're wrong. So you're just going to respond to everything he's ever said. Yep. I'm just going to, I'm going to do one thing okay. at a time and I'll be like, here, here's uh here's four sentences on why this sentence is dumb. Uh-huh. And here's a bunch of resources and why anyone who had looked into it would have never said this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I feel like I have heard his name many, many times, but I've very rarely heard the arguments that are generally attached to him beyond a sort of vague conservative, libertarian, anti-welfare kind of vibe, right? And I did some sort of like digging into a little bit of what he actually argues for in, in prep for this conversation and was very confused because like, I just, I find it very hard to match what he seems to be saying with the way that he is described by people who are advocating for him. So we'll get into that, though. I want to actually, since you're here and you are, you know, an expert on how to save the Democrats from themselves, um, (laughs) what is sort of your sense of like the state of things? Do you are you particularly worried? Do you feel like it's going to be a usual like? you know, midterm that corrects for wins and, but like, doesn't really prove anything. What's your sense of, of the world at this point? There is, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's that binary and mm-hmm. there are multiple factors at play in general. I, I think the, the attitude is better than uh, people think it is on the ground because people's lives are better than people, um, than they were a year ago and a few years ago. However, the mm-hmm. looming problems of, I would say, late stage capitalism, uh, COVID, and making cultural issues out of out of things that should be societal basics, uh, mm-hmm. loom in the back of people's minds at all times. So I think there's going to be a mild correction because I don't think anyone's happy with their leaders. There are very very few people, and like general hope, no matter if it was the left or right, for uh, what a future looks like is really only on the left uh, and the right's only, only messages towards reactionary. It just, I think mm-hmm. if they're going to be smart, the, the, like the infrastructure bill that passed is objectively a good thing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the hard infrastructure bill that passed, the soft infrastructure bill that will get you know, torn apart and then eventually passed will be what at the end of the day, a net good for society and for the people. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, midterms are next year. And so people aren't going to see the results of that. But if if Dems are smart, uh, if and some of them will be, uh, a lot of them won't be. They will slap their name on mm-hmm. everything it attaches to because that'll be jobs. That will be health care. That will be uh, things that actively and, and proactively make people's lives better. And it's the only way you combat doom and gloom is with actionable things that touch people on a daily basis. So I think mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some uh, pullback, some pullback in general, not because of uh, voting swings, but because of turnout. 
you know, uh, we we have a habit of being like, all right, sure, everything's on right. fire. Everyone show up, please. And once everyone shows up once, you know, it's really, really hard to get them to show up twice. And I think the, the base is building as far as the uh, voter turnout comparatively to what it was a decade ago for who's going to turn out on a regular basis. But mm. I don't think we have the same fear mongered excitement that that the right does, even though I think they are fracturing their coalition as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm curious, do you what are you expecting to see in terms of midterm tactic focus from the right? It's going to be more CRT. Is it going to be uh, oh, inflation? Going to be CRT. Or... Um, you know, uh, yeah. well, CRT is kind of dying down in terms of the the flame it was. So they're going to throw, you know, it took a while for CRT to catch uh, and they threw, you know, everything else at the wall. I, I expect to mm-hmm. hear about a caravan that's coming from the south. I expect CRT. I expect uh, some type of um, attach a death panel to any type of bill that's coming. Um, mm-hmm. Call it socialism, even though you need it. But I think also it depends on if if Roe gets gutted before midterms. I think it guts the midterms for the right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not even just in uh, Republican women who you know support uh, Roe in general, uh, women's health care. Uh, I mean that in mm-hmm. in turnout from the fundamental fundamentalist Christians who have no one else to vote for, um, mm-hmm. and who you're not extreme enough on X, Y, and Z um, positions, but you're the only person that's going to get me a conservative justice. They are quite literally single issue voters, and once you get past that single issue, it's really really hard for them to scaremonger. And I think Republicans are going to run into a um, a uh, car catches a dog catches a car moment uh, mm-hmm. similarly and not have another way to go similarly like they did with Trump where we've been riling up extremists for a long period of time for you know two or three decades and they had no one else to vote for until the guy who gave them and just said exactly what they wanted to hear came do you think we're seeing Trump coming back in the next presidential election or do you think it's going to be like enough. a DeSantis or something yeah I think, it's sort of the question right yeah, I, I I don't think he'll be healthy enough. I don't think he'll want to risk the liability. He's um, uh, he's gotten away and will get away with um, uh, murder. figurative murder and probably <laughs> you know literal manslaughter. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and only because he was the president. And at some point in time, we have to worry about. Uh, I don't think we should, but we have to worry about. Um, precedent and what that means for prosecuting previous presidents and a thousand other things. So I think mm-hmm. um, the the Biden admin, but most admins in general would have approached it this way. I, I know a lot of people think, uh, you know, Bernie would have prosecuted him. I'm like, no, he wouldn't have. Uh, not in a, uh, not mm-hmm. if he wanted to focus on actually getting anything done. Um, right. Uh, you don't, Which Bernie you don't... does, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I was like, which Bernie actually, I mean, I give him a mountain of shit for a mountain of things. But um, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, he would want to actually get some things done while he was in office. Uh, you don't feed the fan, uh, the fans of that flame when messaging is already a problem because the um, media apparatus we have is so focused on some type of dysfunction. And that's all they've been mm-hmm. fed for the past four years as well. That. Uh, Maximum lazy example, the the Bluetooth scandal from Politico yesterday that everyone laughed at. But they, mm-hmm. you know, they put whole ass reporters on that 
for the vice president actually doing the right thing and they could have Googled it and they didn't. Uh, right. But it's to, it's going to be to drum up any type of, uh, any type of fire scandal for clicks. Um, and mm -hmm. unfortunately you can't add to that the, uh, self-flagellating, um, what's the word sacrifices themselves uh martyred Nazis oh. that uh yeah. trump already makes himself of uh mm -hmm. and so like if you want to focus on your message they're they're and to get things done you can't give trump the air mm -hmm. i do think it's important for people like it's valuable to understand i don't think the media really has the left right bias it has a bias towards conflict right all it yeah. wants is like ongoing conflict and so like it will attack whoever it feels like produces that conflict or creates yep. that kind of space um so okay so that, that was very helpful so let's let's shift gears here let's talk about our, our main character of the evening <laughs> um so thomas and it is it's soul right I, like I'm, I'm terrible at pronouncing names it's pronounced it's oh. spelled s-o-w-e-l-l -E i've been saying like soul in my head for you yeah. know uh a decade plus and then uh -huh. I think I heard someone say soul on a podcast like a year ago. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. So yeah, it's the problem. I'm going to strong and wrong. You read them. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's just sort of get some basic background stuff here. So as I understand it, he's an economist, uh, political uh, commentator or um, that sort of thing. What is, what do you feel like are the salient important features of his like personal background? Um, that you think um, and play into his work in various ways uh chicago economics old school um i think mm -hmm. that's where he got his phd um mm -hmm. i can google that right now but i'm, I'm almost positive right, he's right, a with, uh... fellow, uh, um yeah he's a fellow at stanford uh went to harvard and then um i know he got his phd at chicago uh university of chicago and the chicago school of economics and, right, and he studies with Friedman. That's yeah, um, and all that comes in implied with that. Um, he hasn't put out a lot of work you could say um, is peer-reviewed for mm -hmm. good reason um, because peers would tear it apart. The uh, I, I am not his econo uh, economic educational peer uh, and I'm going to tear apart his work because I think they are mass works of fiction that are, for the most part, lazy. But they do what they do well in terms of telling a story about uh, about mm -hmm. white people exceptionalism, American exceptionalism, and uh, uh, framing a narrative in the way the world has been built while casually right. ignoring anything that would... Um, undermine his points. Right. Now, he's written a lot, right? A lot. Something like 40 books or something like that. Um, which which things are you focused in on in particular? Are there, like, I know you're trying to sort of rebut everything he's ever said in a sense, but, like, you, I assume you're probably targeting specific works? Yes. So I'm going to start with a few and just one thing at a time. And that's why I was like, this is going to be a series of essays. Because I want to get to his core points, and then mm -hmm. I'll then I'll go back to break things down. So, like major views um, uh, and positions, specifically around his like reductionist, revisionist history to force feed his view. I think mm -hmm. um, 
uh, if I were going to highlight them, disparities don't do not prove discrimination specifically part uh, pertaining to black, white economic inequality and differences. I think that's one of his like main main drivers. Uh, black Americans, and this is in his book, uh, Black Rednecks, but especially the worst off living in urban centers have a redneck culture that was handed down to them uh, through white Southerners from Britain, which there's so much wrong with that, but uh -huh. um, effectively there's black rednecks who uh, got their black redneck culture from uh, white people in the South who got it from Britain. And that's why... Uh, there are any type of disparities in black and white economic outcomes, which is a holy shit dumb statement, but he wrote a whole ass book on it. And so we're going to go uh -huh. dive into that. Uh -huh. um, following it is that culture, which produces bad behavioral problems, you know, crime, emotional outburst, um, single parenthood, all of that stems from that culture. And then those behavioral patterns are exacerbated and supported by the welfare state. And that's how he, uh, and that's when he gets into large um, Chicago economics, anti-any welfare state. Um, and those cultural and behavioral patterns from the combination of culture and welfare that lead to black and white economic inequality. And that's how he explains it. And then at the end of it, he's like, you know who's to blame? Black people. Um, <laughs> So like for, for having that culture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so like, it's a lot of it on its head, like individually is uh, for, I mean, dumb in like the purest sense of the word, as in you're smart enough to look up any of this and you just didn't. And then you fleshed it out uh, and you thought there was no, no historical contextual issues with anything I'm saying, I'm just going to put it out there. Um, and then after it's been out there, he's written follow-ups to be like, nope, this was right, in spite of every professional and every ancillary field that he has no experience in um, telling him he's wrong. So, like, mm -hmm. I, as I said, I don't, once you get to that point, like, I can't take it as a, um, as an act of uh, actual ignorance. So I'm like, yeah, you're, that's your brand. That's what you're building. That's what you're selling. And and I hate it. Do you think it? Is, I mean, like, do you have any sense of like, is it just calculated branding, or is it like he genuinely converted? Because, I, from my understanding, in his background, he at least self-identified as a Marxist for part of his life. Right? He was, um, he felt like he leaned that way, and then sort of was confronted by experiences with, um, sort of state-run systems, and that was his sort of, uh, um, you know, falling out with that perspective and the shift towards this kind of uh, conservative libertarianism. Um, do you do you buy that as like a narrative or do you like more think that, you know, this is just like he found something that got attention? Because I mean, the other thing I want to ask, my understanding is he has some legitimacy as an economist like he's written some things of substance in that area um but that it's you know as we commonly see i think in the culture war when he moves from that to like pontificating about these other kinds of cultural issues um it's that that's where the the sort of the work gets sloppy in a sense yeah uh, well i think it's i think it's multi-pronged and multifaceted, mm -hmm. and i think uh 
specific radicalization feedback loops happen, um, especially mm-hmm. when you get attention. And so you can have you can have um, turning points in your life that can drive you to the right or drive you to the left, depending on you know however that unique experience driven you. That happens all the time with um, people in far right loopholes that just get you know radicalized a certain way and they go far left. Um, that's not mm-hmm. surprising. And then when you're using also, uh, you pivot and use it to build a platform. Uh, we see it on Twitter all the time. Uh, I said something, you know, a little edgy. I got a lot of feedback from an edgier fan group. Uh, I kept saying more edgier things because I liked that feedback. And especially if I can build a career off of it, um, it's a, it is the easiest route to go. I don't mm-hmm. think, um, and so I can't say like he's, you know, this, um, calculating only doesn't believe what he says he probably does i just think he's way less logical about the approach than he thinks he is like most people who get Mm -hmm. radicalized in either direction um Mm -hmm. and the only way i would say that because he ignores so much work to say the things he does um like you you would have to be actively ignorant in the mountains and mountains of work from people across the spectrum to ignore everything that would undercut what you're saying to spout some of the nonsense he says. And uh-huh. it's not all culture wars. Um, God, he's every, like every other year, it's his comment on something, but I don't know if you ever saw the, um, uh, his ranting against DDT and it being banned. No, um, I haven't seen this. The insecticide DDT was banned sure. in the US. Uh, I believe right, right. the environmentalist was Rachel Carson. Um, who was ranting against it. And then uh, Saul came out and was talking about, you know, how uh, DDT was actually good in spite of all the actual problems with it. And its banning has caused uh, malaria spikes everywhere. And that's what everyone gets. Um, even though he could have looked it up for like, you know, half a second, malaria didn't spike. DDT was only banned in the U.S. Malaria spiked in Africa and Asia where DDT was still used for another like 30 years. But uh-huh. he, you know, decides to dive in because, uh, you know, environmentalists are ruining what good capitalism things are doing X, X, Y, Y, because he's already decided right. what the, the problem and the solution is. And he's not going to let um, empirical facts change his opinion. Right, so it's a kind of reactionary attitude in that way. Um, so let's let's um, let's dive into these specific claims here a little bit. The sort of well, I'll try to work through them in order as you laid them out there. The disparities don't mean injustice, redneck culture, and then the, the welfare state stuff. But the, obviously, they they connect together in various ways. Um, but I think it's valuable to start with the disparities don't mean injustice because I think it's probably the most common place that I see him referenced, even though I don't think that like often his explicit arguments are laid out necessarily. I think, you know, if you talk about um, inequity or something like that, right, you will often get this like, well, what about souls, you know, pushback against X, Y, Z or something. Um, So like, you know, what, is there anything of real sort of substance to his like disparities don't mean injustice arguments or is this kind of pushing back on a like straw bot approach of, you know, um, acting like the left treats every 
difference between people as an injustice rather than that it has a more sort of sophisticated view, essentially. There's a, a couple of ways for that he approaches it, and I think the conversation is approached, um, mm-hmm. which, like, it doesn't follow that um, the remaining racial disparities uh, are not explained by like acute racial discrimination, um, and mm-hmm. that it's that's not caused by racism in society. So, like, Soul will say something like, uh, "Realtors and bankers, and you know, job creators will make choices." just based on the relevant quality the individual brings to the table. Education, criminal Mm -hmm. eviction history, credit scores. Um, I think he defines them as discrimination A and discrimination B, um, depending on the Mm -hmm. type, but I'll I'll dive in. Um, And then, you know, people have those differences in quality, uh, in qualities. So that's completely understandable that um, an employer is just filtering that way. But Mm -hmm. what doesn't answer those questions about um, that distribution is why these inequalities would be unevenly distributed by race. So like, Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's not a realtor's fault that there's a black-white disparity in a credit score, but that black-white disparity isn't like a law of physics. Um, And treating it as like Mm -hmm. a law of physics without looking at the larger system is just casually ignoring and hand-waving like history, economics, how we build our law, how we built our tax law, um, that humans make a lot of the determinations that change a lot of our qualifications for input in larger society. So you can right. you can say things that like, oh, I don't, um, I as a person and my entire company only hires people that graduated from Yale, you know, mm-hmm. between 1960 and 1980. Uh, it just happens to all be only white men. Like it's, uh, and pretending that that's um, that's an equal process and it's going to get you equal results is wild at a macro societal scale and honestly hilariously dishonest. Well, yeah. So this is, I mean, you get the sort of classic like free choice and the market will sort things out kind of mindset. But I think you highlight what what is a problem here, which is you know, we have these disparities, right? And soul, you know, like I think opponents of him would say this is where systemic injustice comes in or systemic inequality, right? That like what you're seeing here is the, even if like the individual realtors aren't acting racist, right? They are perpetuating these racial racial injustices by sort of continuing to use metrics that are essentially proxies for race or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, which happens um, all the time. And I think you can, right. um, where we're going to get, as I said, needlessly thorough in conversations like this, well, I'll dive in into the entire history of U.S. tax law, which there, mm-hmm. are, there are laws that were written specifically against Black people, and there are laws that weren't written specifically against Black people, but were written specifically for white couples that just, you know, excluded everybody else. Um, and, you know, tax laws that favored one person at home, uh, one person working and, mm-hmm. uh, housewife and housewife and kids at home, which were the vast majority of white families were the vast majority of black families when married, both people were working, but they wouldn't get as much of a tax break. And so you, you compound wealth like that, which, you know, 10 to $15,000 a year over a lifetime is significant. 
Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you take that now where there you go into um, both credit scores, home ownership, what you can do with that wealth, um, uh, and how many Black people are now taking care of their parents. And so a good portion of their wealth, because their parents weren't able to build the same nest eggs uh, that their white counterparts mm-hmm. were, even if they did the same jobs. Um, uh, that that wealth uh, and that ability to launch, like, yeah, one or two people are going to um, do very, very well. There are exceptions to every rule, but in general, the probability and that curve of probability is just lower because of the um, mm-hmm. uh, the inciting inputs. Um, so, like, like, a lot of that is he hand waves away a ton of history to make a statement that isn't true on its face, but is is outwardly false, like assertively mm-hmm. false if you ever dive into any of it. And we can't think he doesn't have the ability to do his own due diligence. Well, yes, I mean, this is where I, I struggle because I really want to, like, understand if there is this very insightful person who just strongly disagrees with me, like, what are their arguments and such. But as far as I can tell, it really seems that he denies just outright denies the existence of systemic injustice right and like i can understand like a weaker version of that where maybe you think that like it's a term that's thrown around too much or used too broadly or like people aren't rigorous enough in their epistemic you know like evidence for particular instances of it but like the idea that there literally just is no such thing and that it's like a a myth that to me like is a james Lindsay level take right you know that's not it's not a reasonable take to be bringing to the table, but that does, as far as I can tell, that is his view, right? Oh, yeah. He just uses many, many prettier words and throw, and a lot of them, but his take is, is in general that there were no significant issues or systemic issues that the disparity uh, uh, with Black people was brought among themselves, and it's because of their, because of their culture. Right. So this is where we get the cultural turn. And I think this is interesting to understand because, um, you know, he to me sort of epitomizes what I think of as the conservative cultural turn in race realism, which is like, you know, before him, you have your Charles Murray's who want to explain the differences not through systemic injustice, but because of biological differences, right, or genetic differences. Um and then you have folks who come along who like want to, you know, maybe move away from that a little bit at least by replacing it with this idea that, um, you know, it, there's something inherent to black culture that is causing them to reproduce these behaviors. In that way, it sort of adopts the language of cultural anthropology, but tends to not actually adopt any of the insights it seems like that go along with it. Is that sort of where you see his view and like what are the what are the cultural tropes that he tends to point to as like justifying this argument? It's wild. So like, if you look into his, um, his version of culture is, I think it's the um, original amorphous term that, that woke is now for it's Mm -hmm. a, it's, it's a pejorative he uses that fits what he needs. Like for some reason he uses culture as this, um, this free like not affected by material circumstance going from one group to another unchanged and then fully retained until you decide that i'm going to take off this culture and put on another one which Mm -hmm. that's not how any of that works um 
like uh and if you uh there's a couple of good books that i'll send to you separately that are phenomenal mm-hmm. but like uh you take history you have a group presented with a you know a bunch of pure uh poor economic chances in succession um and you add mm-hmm. segregation and you add um you add a thousand other laws on top of it you're going to get higher probability of a bunch of separate uh a bunch of outcomes and so like not um i i really don't understand his uh theory of unchanged cultural traits passing unilaterally to a population it's it's not built in anything and if you look at his books like uh he doesn't actually provide any proof of how um how black you know black southerners got these traits from white southerners or anything about black northerners or how when heavy great migration uh, of black people in multiple cities crime went down in a lot of areas because unemployment was up and crime only spiked uh, like in certain areas after unemployment of black individuals spiked as well which is pretty in, you know consistent of every society known to man throughout history um right yeah there's some pretty wild claims in there about disparities about um households right because he has this conservative fixation on single parent households and and like you know he has like this these claims where he basically argues that like black households were more stable during slavery essentially and that like he's also sort of famous i guess for arguing that like slavery was a good thing for black people um in in ways that i think are, are fairly questionable Oh yeah, um, he he retcons both American history and then African history, and mm-hmm. uses it to push like ancient neoconservative nonsense, um, and just regurgitates some of the worst of the worst. I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, who was I looking at? And I was like, this is exactly who Sol borrows from. Um, oh, in terms of historians. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember reading a sociologist and I was like, this mm-hmm. is like, Soul's just pulling this same nonsense and, and throwing some more words and adding, you know, modern day black people to it. Yeah, that's been a uh, Powell or something I'll, like that. I'll, I'll think of it and get back to you. Um, yeah, I'm no problem. Let me, I want to talk a little bit more about the culture side of things because this, so like, there's a motivation that's pretty explicit, at least rhetorically speaking, right? That like when, you know, when he's making this culture argument, he wants sorry. the sociologist oh, Franklin Fraser. Um, Fraser, okay, yeah, great. But sorry, continue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. So like, it it's about, um, you know, he they they like to attack the left for painting um black people as having no agency essentially right so if you blame the suffering of black people on white supremacy you're putting all of the agency on white people and you're saying that you know black people just have no no freedom or any control or something like that right and it seems like the turn towards the culture stuff for him is supposed to be like well this is giving agency back to black people because it's your own culture that's screwing you over with the implication i think that's not often made explicit that you could just stop having that culture or something like that which seems weird if you also buy his theory that like 
this is a culture that they inherited and like has been reproduced in this kind of way through their society. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem clear that he's actually given black people any more agency. He's just said they're victims of their own culture instead of someone else's culture and assumed that they could just undo all of that or something. Is that, is that fairly correct? (laughs) Oh, don't expect linear logical consistency. They're just a lot of words, but you're right. So he parrots, the same traditional, as I said, neoconservative deficit model that blames Black Americans for not conforming to whatever mm-hmm. the behavioral expectations that dominant society puts on them. So, like, for him, he, at his core, thinks Black people lack core values that uh, I think in in the conservative ecosystem uh, of America is generally centered in, you know, family and church. And he can only go after church so much considering that, you know, Historically, um, uh, Black people were pretty fairly religious, but as society gets less, uh, you know, um, uh, wholesale religious, and even though Black, the Black community is still pretty high up there, he can blame a little bit more on that, you know, breaking away from the faith and you don't have the core values in your family. To, so, and that's the problem. Everything else is... Um, you know, power-centric ideologies that say, if you don't do it, this is old-school Protestant life, you need to work harder and uh, pull yourself up by more bootstraps. And then he writes papers to justify it afterwards. Yeah, and this this stuff gets really rough, I feel like, because there's there's a a lack of compassion, I feel like, and a kind of condescension to his take and, and like, it feels a little bit like because I'm a black person, I'm going to be extra condescending towards other black people. So, like, for example, um, you know, one of his uh, famous quotes is, you know, no society ever thrived because it had a large and growing class of parasites living off those who produce. Right. Which is like classic, like Ayn Rand, like taker maker kind of language. And it just it shows sort of a, a deep kind of disrespect for again i think it's very clear that when he says the word parasite he's got to clearly be referring to these black communities that he sees as sort of underperforming in these ways which is you know a wholesale bullshit for multiple reasons um mainly because Mm -hmm. we live in a uh a capitalistic society where advantage and power pools and compounds and the slightest Mm -hmm. setback even if you're playing on the same you're starting from the same playing field can set you back and can be devastating. And that's true Mm -hmm. for most Americans. And the the farther down you are on that pyramid, the smaller that setback um, can be. And honestly, more probable, the more probable that setback is. Uh, If you add that to racial discrimination and the history around that, that just makes it means um, you end up having to work even harder and have a harder mindset towards not being a parasite so like Mm -hmm. even by his definition everyone else below are working four to five times as hard to get half as much but they're the parasites for making society thrive like uh it's it's uh right it's fundamentally wrong in multiple multiple uh instances because they're the same people that argue about government deficits when like the federal dollar isn't the same as a household budget dollar and explaining it that way is a way to actively mislead people to push more conservative arguments. 
not to mm-hmm. actually get better ideas. Um, and that, through that same mindset, you can blame, you know, you're not keeping your household budget in order. So we don't need to fund these programs because you are just irresponsible. Um, not that, yeah. you know, the system we put you in makes your probability for success really, really low, even though it is in everyone's best interest that you succeed, uh, it doesn't affect our personal lives either way. So we'd rather be above you. Uh, yeah. And it has, I think you highlighted this kind of very John Galti, Andrew Ryan, like there are the great producers, the great men or something like that. And then there's all these people who are like feeding off them in this kind of way. I want to, I want to bring in another one of these quotes. He says, uh, there is no talent so ardently supported nor generously rewarded as the ability to convince parasites they are victims. And I think you can really see there a lot of the like the kind of anti-victimhood language that has become very popular amongst the anti-woke now. And, you know, statements like this very much bug me because like there is some truth to this, right? You can gain advantage by selling victim narratives but like it's also like i said absurdly callous and it's also a bit ironic because like a lot of what he seems to be doing is selling conservatives on their own victim narrative in this kind of way um now you know do you think that those kind of quotes are the exception or do you think they're more like the rule is he is he like more subtle in some of his forms or is it kind of bomb throwing throughout in this way no that's exactly who he is i think he's Uh, My personal opinion, I think he's a self-hating narcissist who refuses to expand or grow because it would danger the pedestal the right puts him on. Um, And you can't, uh, I have little to no sympathy from people who have spent their lifetime, uh, uh, life and livelihood uh, doing their best to denigrate entire groups that they haven't actually spent any work building. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't say any of this if you've ever worked in, you know, half the black communities where 80 to 90 percent of the people are working to get out and doing their best and working to take care of their kids and trying to do better. Um, and like I've, I've lived in poor black communities. I've lived in poor white communities. I've lived in really rich white communities and I've lived in decently rich black communities. And like the only real big difference I saw was that everyone in the poor black and brown communities seemed to work harder than everyone I've ever seen in the rich white communities. And everyone in the well-off black communities would point at you, we would point at each other like, hey man, you made it, how you doing? And then continue on from there. But like, right. I, um, the, it's, it, the entire mindset bugs. Uh, it's, like, um, it's like budget culture to poor people. Uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, 99% of budgeting advice is absolutely useless to, to most people, you know, right. 60 to 70% of Americans, because the, the presumption is that you just have the money, you're just missing spending it. When, when I was broke and everyone I knew was broke, knew every dollar they had and they knew when to spend, spend it. And if one thing messed up, it changed their weeks, if not their months. Mm-hmm. For sure. Right. And then there's so much again, there's so much data about like how much of a cost um, poor people bear in terms of cognitive loss from having to deal with all of those sorts of issues. Um, So, I mean, this brings us, I think, to the like third part of our our triumvirate of arguments here. Right. This kind of welfare, anti-welfare state argument. And this is why I think it's very important to understand people like soul and Charles Murray and stuff like that as not just sort of 
theorists or researchers or, or sort of people, you know, doing pure academic work, but it's people engaged in trying to bring about specific policy outcomes because he, as far as I can tell, genuinely just wants to get rid of all welfare and, and believes that like welfare systems are the cause of modern violence and a bunch of other like social ills in a very somewhat two-dimensional kind of way, it seems like. Is that sort of what your takeaway is from him on the policy side? Yeah, he is um he is a a Kim Kardashian for old white men. Um, he is an influencer on and supporter of the image they want their brain to be and regurgitates um, their insecurities to make them feel better about it. Um, like he, I think he's an influencer and, and he writes stories to help with that influence uh, while actually misinforming both how, you know, general welfare states work, um, federal mm-hmm. budgets work larger macroeconomics works for absolutely no reason because there's nothing that um uh there's nothing that taking money away from poor people will help anyone else outside of maybe privatizing so someone else can make more of a profit from other people's suffering and i i'm never going to be a part of that there's this zero-sum economic idea and approach to all of this, um, all of this, uh, all of these right-wing narratives towards building a better society. And none Uh of that's been true since the industrial age. Um, Like every time I see something about the national debt, I'm like, the national debt's just the total accumulation and growth of American wealth. Like all we have to do is just make sure that we're getting more productive and we're, you know, 15 to 20 years ahead on that curve. Um, and that we're expanding our wealth towards our economic output and we were way ahead of there. So like, um, yeah, it's, it's wild to me, like the entire approach, but it's about, it's about power and control and it always has been. So one thing, one thing that I find sort of weird trying to dig into these arguments a little bit, I find the treatment of like this one size fits all approach to, the safety net very strange right like you know maybe you can make an argument that certain kinds of social services especially if they're not done well right there's a sophisticated version of this where you could say for example that like um you know if welfare has a cutoff point when you're making a certain amount of income or something like that it keeps people in these poverty traps or something um but like to just sort of say writ large welfare is bad because the government doesn't manage it well and can't help people actually it just makes things worse like that ignores the differences between like different kinds of social safety net things so for example as i understand it social security meant you know for a long large number of people right the end of poverty like dying old and impoverished impoverished right essentially right We're, we're we're sort of rolling that back now slowly with like healthcare costs and things like that but like it did seem to work right in terms of like massively cutting poverty for elderly individuals how does how does soul like address that sort of stuff like especially in that case where it's like you're not trying to get people back on the work you know wagon or something like that right like these people are are retiring they're old they they're just taking up uh, taking money out at this point um you know, does he does he just sort of ignore those sorts of things and focus only on like 
stuff for um, marginalized communities or something? He, in my experience so far, because I've been focused on his uh, the dumb shit he says about black culture. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, so far, he just ignores it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll dive in uh, because similar far right economists tend to do something uh, equal about, you know, maybe people can work and we can't get productivity out of them. Uh, and they do the same thing with old people and lowering working ages and the disabled might as well be happy that they're alive. And even if they're suffering, which we don't Mm -hmm. need to have a society that way, there's, there's absolutely no reason. And if you ever dive in because economically, they'll say things like we're going to go broke as a country, which we're the sole proprietor of our own currency. That'll never happen. But if mass expenditures caused us to grow broke as a country that weren't, you know, immediately uh, profitable, then we would never mm-hmm. be able to pay for the military. And military spending's fine and dandy every year, and it's not an issue. But mainly mm-hmm. because um, I tried to explain this to someone the other day that, like, that said taxation is theft. And I was like, well, no, that's not how that works. But taxation is taxation is the government's control of the expansion of the total amount of wealth um, in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want the expansion of that dollar to grow because you want more wealth out there. Every time there's a deficit, they're adding more wealth into the world. The big part really is where that deficit money is going generally funnels into, you know, a limited amount of hands instead of being able to build a stronger economic floor. Um, Mm -hmm. With far-right economists, Seoul included, a lot of it is uh, force-feeding their views because that fundamentally they don't think a government government should work or government ideas should work. And don't ask them for ideas on how they're going to build something after that because they don't have them. It's one of the reasons the right is so focused uh, politically, uh, especially these days, but for the past decade, on culture wars, because their ideas are either not there or not good. Um, Mm -hmm. And you ask for actual, you know, measurable solutions to things like climate change or even social things like uh, crippling loneliness in late stage capitalism as people figure out what they're going to do over the next 30 to 70 years. And the answers are either super regressive, uh, outright dumb, or uh, bafflingly simple in platitudes. And they'll uh-huh. say they'll keep pivoting towards those platitudes because they don't have concrete ideas. But when concrete ideas come, say, say the infrastructure bill that just passed and the the soft infrastructure bill that's going to pass, they'll call it socialism and communism every day for the next six years. But when it hits their town and it hits their area, they will slap their name on all the funding that improves their areas because they know mm-hmm. it's a good idea. Or even if they don't, they don't have a better one. Yeah. So and there's something lurking behind this view that I think is important and I, a little bit ironic, actually, because I think these folks will often chastise the left as being sort of too pessimistic about the present because we're trying we keep trying to push for progress or something like that but there is a fundamental kind of fatalism or pessimism i think to soul's view which is that like you really can't make things that much better right and that these attempts to try to make things much better are going to tend to make things worse and that you should mostly accept when things do get better it seems like and not 
try to meddle too much beyond that right and i just um it just it just seems like <laughs> it, it is it is a view that hasn't like you say it, it hasn't evolved right like as so many things in the world have changed and complicated like it just doesn't it doesn't read like a complex view at all which is like is frustrating because I want a complex conservative perspective, right? Are there any ways we're starting to get towards the end here? Are there any ways where you feel like, you know, we could complicate this fairly simplistic narrative of a, a worldview that we've been laying out here? Well, I think understanding the worldview is understanding quite specifically um, how it's built and mm -hmm. where it's um, where it's consistent. Mm -hmm. A lot of it wouldn't seem consistent if you look at um, you look at conservative approaches, Saul included, to, towards government, um, government, military, and the police, um, and how they should feel about government, military, and the police, and how selective their um, that spectrum is. Um, mm -hmm. Similarly, with subsidies and understanding subsidies on one end for classic industries and not wanting subsidies for evolving ones until they can buy into it. A lot of the times it's, it's, uh, it's force fed through this hierarchical view that they have on how society should look and mm -hmm. anything that allows them to consolidate power into fewer hands, generally their hands, therefore, and if it distributes power among a bunch of people who they feel, you know, are scary or not as smart or don't deserve it, they're against doesn't matter what it is. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if they supported it, you know, one election cycle ago, or they supported it a couple weeks ago for someone else. Now that it's distributing power among people they don't like, they're against it. And I think mm -hmm. we have to stop. Um, one of the one of my determinations is to not complicate Republican and right wing narratives when they're not complicating them for me. Um, sure, like you. You, you've had a platform. You can use your words. We are speaking all the time. If you didn't mean to say the exact same thing you said over and over and over in context, then what else am I supposed to get from it? And at the end of the day, what are you voting for? Like, um, mm -hmm. we, we pretend this uh, large, there's this large value group of people who, you know, are being swayed on 30 to 40 issues or three to five issues when that many people saw who Trump was for years and still voted for him. Um, mm -hmm. They knew who he was beforehand and still voted for him. They've decided that the, the worst of his worst and the medium of his worst weren't deal breakers to vote for him. So as much mm -hmm. as they would say, I knew a lot of people that were like, you know, taxes are why I did this, this, and this. And I was like, okay. Or my 401k is happy, even if he's a little racist. I'm like, all right, I can ask those exact same people whose 401k has basically skyrocketed since Biden's been in president and they don't bring it up at all because it's no longer um, no longer a cosign to make them be okay with voting for the bigot that they emotionally um, have grafted onto. Uh, and so like, I think there's, I think there's ways to complicate the argument for, uh, for people that are actually in the political spectrum. I think the entire, the entire political spectrum is, a bunch of people on the left and then the far right. And mm -hmm. on the left is, you know, traditional people on the center who think about society in a different way and people on the far left who think about society in a different way. And 
there, there's a fractured coalition on how we're going to build there, get something built. But at the core, they want a society to be built. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the GOP has radicalized everyone that's not them. Um, and you've uh, and if they say they're not radicalized, if you're still voting for them, you're still voting for the power structures, you're still voting for them to do what they do. It really doesn't matter to everybody else. Um, and I don't think mm-hmm. we should overcomplicate that if they're still going to vote for things that make everyone else's lives actively worse. Yeah, well, I think this is a fair point about like how the urge to like steel bot your opponent can go too far and you can sort of infer more complexity than there is there. It's like, for example, you know, we, you could try to credit souls sort of for his desire to decriminalize drugs. And I don't know the details of his position, just that like that is one of the like libertarian positions that like he seems to be more in favor of and something like the left would be you know with him on i think a lot of the time but what seems weird to me is that even if he holds that view you know at least in the material that i was able to consume prior to this interview again i didn't get to read all 40 books but um he you know when he frequently talks about disparities in sort of households and like unstable single parent households in black communities there's never talk about like how the war on drugs ravaged these communities you know like there's no there's no talk about like mass incarceration as being a significant factor it's all of this like the social safety net you know destroyed families kind of stuff complete and utter disconnect and so that's why i'm like yeah sure uh you you're probably right i can you you've been speaking for you know seven decades uh (laughs) sure you're gonna have a couple of reasonable ideas in a void but outside of that void it breaks down real real fast and so like mm-hmm. yeah yeah i can i i can understand that but like so often you know people people see black intellectual and think race expert and mm-hmm. he he has not done any of the legwork outside of talking out of his ass um mm-hmm. yeah and then i like, feel like young soul it's just weird does he look like malcolm x when he's younger is that oh he's he's young it's the glasses and the hair and he's got the, and the uh, hair right it's uh, a whole, he's got the, it's a the jaw line. and cheekbones Yep, yep. Okay, it's not just me. It's not racist to think that. I just wanted to check. (laughs) I I was like, nah, man, you're looking at the wrong picture. No, that's right. (laughs) But, uh, but like, Saul is, um, uh, like, black conservatism in general, uh, Mm -hmm. like, you know, assertively, the GOP has done its best to either make mockery of black conservatives that were there. Um, and make them make mockery of themselves for co-signing them, or they've had to break away because time and time and time after uh, again, when the ideas were, you know, smaller government, or work your ass off, blah, 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 that conservatism says it is, but isn't, um, mm-hmm. uh, were continuously undermined anytime a black kid was shot and all conservatism basically, you know, salivated and cheered and hooted. Um uh, and even if you weren't a part yeah. of the GOP, like you weren't one of the people that made, you know, um, who's that asshole that's still alive that killed Trayvon Martin in Florida? Um, oh, um, yeah, I know. He yeah, uh, even if you aren't a part of the group that, you know, um, hosted fundraisers with him and allowed him to 
you know, sell the sweater he was wearing and shit like that, you decided that that wasn't a deal breaker for people mm-hmm. that were. Um, right. Zimmerman, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's who it was. I was like, you think black people are violent? George Zimmerman's still alive, hanging out. Um, but um, well, so yeah, this comes up in the last thing before we wrap up here. Look. That like this is a tricky subject, right? And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this a little bit, which is how do we talk about folks like soul or like your John McWhorters or something like that? And like, you know, I don't want to just do the like uncle Tom kind of yeah. uh, dismissal, but like at the same time, you know, if we can acknowledge for someone like Booker T Washington, that like his race obviously mattered it, like what he was saying coupled with his skin color made a difference. Yeah. Right. Can we acknowledge that for current sort of black conservatives? And like, how do we have a conversation about that that is at least somewhat respectful to their agency as human beings? I think we um, we disconnect and uh, are very specific about black conservatives who walk the walk and black conservatives who... Um, whose brand is Black Conservative TM, um, whose only ideas are denigrating Black people. Mm-hmm. I, Do you feel like there are Black conservatives who you would say sort of, this, yeah, this is someone um, who I would recommend people like, talk a lot to? Of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of these same ideas, um, you know, the Black people raised in the exact same society. And my family's from the Deep South. We're from Anniston, Alabama. More than familiar with a ton of black conservatives and the ideology fits into um, the larger narratives that a lot of black Americans were built into the individualism, mm-hmm. the self-determination. Um, uh, they were, they grew up in the same culture that uh, imprinted these as their white counterparts. And all they had to think of in their head is that not only, yes, I have to work hard, but I also just have to work harder than them. Cool. It's the same mindset though. Um, Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that in modern day conservatism, but especially with um, the political right, is so focused on culture wars that you can't, you can't be a black conservative and speak on things like, I, I like John Wood. John Wood's clearly a black conservative. Uh, John Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. He's doing. Right. I think he's doing good work. I I told him often though that like you have to be a little honest about when the people you're on are saying some of the heinous things possible and pretending that they're not, you're not going to build a middle ground with, you know, I think he had, um, he had Dennis Prager on, I think today. And oh, God. Prager says some of the, like the most vile things you can think. Yeah. Um, he's horrible. He had Dave Rubin on the other day and Dave Rubin like quite right. literally lied to his face um, and said some of the most heinous things you can think. And like, you can't, you're, we're not we're not having differences of opinions on subjective topics. One person is lying to you, uh, and they're determined to poison the well. And similarly with that, for um, uh, I think black conservatives either have to have been forced into a position to either completely disconnect uh, and not be uh, supported by the conservative media apparatus, or they get railroaded to being you know the John McCorder the Wilford Riley, um, mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, I, I am regurgitating the worst things possible and tap dancing for whoever will let me for some attention. I, I can't support that. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, do you know, 
Um, Evo. Uh, Evo had an article called The Four Types of Black Conservatives. And it, mm -hmm. it was specifically about, and I, I'll send you her link, but it was um, sure. about her, you know, she was lifelong Republican, but it was but had to break away from the par party uh, specifically because of some glaring issues that she either had to, you know, uh, ignore her experiences and her understanding of both history and current as a Black person, and then also mm -hmm. parrot uh, some of the worst narratives possible if they were going to uh, welcome her as her own. And I think mm -hmm. that's really, really unfortunate because there's, you know, a spectrum of views. So now most Black conservatives are just, you know, Black Democrats who fight against more radical things and we argue about things in the center and we can build a society from there. Right. I think that's a good point to sort of wrap up on. Real quick, though, do you want to folks um, who might want to get like a firsthand experience of Soul's work, is there a particular text that you would recommend that they they try out? Would that be like the, the Black Rednecks one or something like that? Well, the Black Rednecks one is so bad. Um, I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the one about how one... slavery is actually good for black people. Would that be better? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, to be fair, I don't think there's a good one. I would, um, what is his name? James B. Stewart. Um, uh -huh. I think maybe 15 years ago, uh, tore soul a new asshole. Um, and in like an uh -huh. eight page report, um, yeah, I, I would recommend that because I'm halfway okay. through it and I'm like, oh. Uh, um, but you know pick any of his works he's got a lot of platitudes that sound really decent as long as you don't know anything else um, mm -hmm. and then the rest of it sounds um, ironic he uh, I've said before he's um, he's a Gwyneth Paltrow for right-wing economist and mm -hmm. he, he throws something that sounds about right and uses the same vocabulary words and like just please don't ask an actual professional about why you shouldn't put this egg in your vagina. But like, right. he says it with confidence and throws a lot of fancy words around it. Fair enough. All right, don't put the uh, conservative political egg in your vagina. Um, good stuff. So unfortunately now I have to torture you. So this, this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. <laughs> So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are those things real or not real? You don't oh, get no. to define what real means. You don't get to hedge. Okay. <laughs> those are your okay. only options, real or not real. All right. You ready? All right. All right. Fine. All right. So first of all, let's just find out just to set the table here. Is anything real? No. You sure? Because I can go through this list either way. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. All right. Let's make sure that you believe that genuinely nothing is real. So. Oh no, I'm not sure. That was... Okay. Okay. Great. The external world, real or not real? Yes. Uh, not real or real? Oh, sorry. Real. Okay. Uh, colors, real or not real? Not real. Phenomenal consciousness, real or not real? Real. Free will. Not real. Selves or persons. Real. Genders. Not real. 
races? Not real. <laughs> Species? Uh, not real. Morality? Real. Rights? Um, not real. Knowledge? Not real. God or gods? Uh, real. Society? Uh, real. Money? Um, not real. Numbers? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> not real fictional characters real holes like a hole in the ground oh, that's not fair <laughs> not, not real okay chairs not real sandwiches real science not real Natural laws? Not real. Beauty? Not real. Love? Real. Causality? Oof. Real. And finally, time. Oh, not real. All right. How do you feel? Not not real. <laughs> <laughs> not real. <laughs> you survived. You made it. <laughs> can pull your hand out of the box. Congratulations. You, mean, you can't waffle. I was like, well, I've got some asterisks to all of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You could waffle with your tone a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, no, that was great, though. I uh, appreciate you enjoying sticking around for that. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find your stuff one more time? Uh, yeah, I'm Brandon L. Bradford. Um, B-R-A-N-D-L-D-O-N-L-B-R-A-D-F-O-R at on twitter um brandon bradford you can just google me and find me um besides mm -hmm. that i'm in the bay area eating sushi and chicken sandwiches and i'm always willing to chat with folks great well i really appreciate it we'll get you back on after you get canceled for the articles and we can <laughs> oh, discuss I'm, where you went wrong in your life i'm gonna wreck him it's gonna be great it's gonna I, I think my first one will probably come out in february uh i, I i'm like 11 pages in and i was like oh this is tiring but <laughs> All right. Well, looking looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. As always, I'd like to thank our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Lauren Shielding. If it's not there, where is it? Is it anywhere? Dude, fix the vote. Covina needs your support for voting districts. Join us December 21st, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time via Zoom. Google Covina City Council for meeting info. Uh, Chad T. and Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And all the thanks to our Archduke level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons' show, Film Live Musicals Podcast. Uh, leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, you are not a parasite. You are the void.
and the void is you. Thank you.